Welcome. You are listening to part one of the Root River Anthology, written and directed by Catherine Glynn, co-produced with the Commonwealth Theatre Company, Lanesboro Arts, and Art, Audacious Raw Theatre. Featuring the music of Eric Carranza, sound design by Josiah Laubenstein, and the voices of your favorite Commonweal and Art Ensemble members. Part two will be available on June 6th. We hope you enjoy this moving meditation. The Root River Anthology. valley of love and delight, a Shangri-La of sorts, <laughs> but even Shangri-La has its sh- <laughs> excuse me, uh, its uh, challenges. We have our unwieldy drunks, the occasional venomous spirit, and ne'er-do-well scathing town gossips. You know, stand downwind of the Wednesday cattle sale and you'll get a literal whiff of what I mean. <laughs> but this place, uh, this place is uh, a living, breathing paradox filled with breathless young and old beauties, big-hearted neighbors that would do anything, and I do mean anything for you in your time of need. You know, the best advice I was ever given about life in a small town, (laughs) in our little borough to be more precise, is this. It's like living in a fishbowl, and like a fish... You ought to learn the fine art of having a short-term memory. (laughs) You know, the myth that fish have short-term memories has been debunked by research. You've heard the old adage that a fish's memory span is about only three seconds. But I'm told scientists now believe they can remember for up to five months. Five whole months. You know, five months sounds about right to me. Then it's high time to forgive and move on. Not long ago, an epic flood destroyed the area. Uh, the weather's been a-changing, and none of us seem to be able to keep up with it, leastwise the river. Farms were destroyed, homes ruined, we lost cattle and chicks, goats and some pigs, a few precious domestic pets. And the biggest loss of all, of course, were the people. Two of the most open-hearted souls Bert and Nancy Knutson are trying to help folks make sense of things. <laughs> Good old Bert likes a nip of the whiskey, a bit too much for Nan's taste, but uh, she works out her angst as she pulls the weeds in her garden and offers tea to anyone who cares for visit. Their farm is a bit of a wreck right now, and as they emerge from their shelter, Bert spies something unusual in the yard. What the? Nan! Come here and take a look at this. Look at what washed up in the field. Oh, my. How on earth? Well, there's no telling how things got where they did. Oh, do we need to call the phone company? <laughs> Man, we can't. 
Besides, this hasn't worked in years. Oh, no, Bert. To have them haul it away. We certainly aren't keeping it. Why not? That's ridiculous. It'll be a novelty. Remember how kids used to dial it up when tourists went by? <laughs> They'd get so confused watching their faces. That was hysterical. I know. That's when it worked. And it was clean. Come on, Nan. We need a little fun around here. It was funny, those phone calls. <laughs> oh, the old timers making prank calls on it, too. Lined up like a murder of crows, watching, waiting, as one of them would dial in from the restaurant, <laughs> cackling when someone picked up. Maybe it can be an attraction, a focal point, once we start getting people back here. Lord knows we'll need one. Feels like there's nothing but the bluffs and the expanded river to look at. Or maybe, maybe it's a place where people could come tell their secrets. A place to talk, get things off their chest. A confessional. The whole town feels like it's on edge. Oh, I don't know, Bert. Oh, come on, Nan. Everyone has their secrets. I'll just call Tanner and see if he can help me write it. Oh, Tanner? Nan, come on. He's strong as an ox. Fine, go ahead. Let me know when it's up and I'll help you clean it off. As if on cue, here comes Tanner. The amiable and off-drunk Tanner Sayers. <laughs> He has a love-hate relationship with most things in life. And once upon a time, he served as a Green Beret. And he's been a lifelong buddy of Bert's. Nan's not so much a fan. He tends to lead Bert down the primrose path with drink, <laughs> enticing Bert out to the tavern a few too many nights a week. What the? I know. Help me write it. What for? I have an idea. All right. But if my back goes out, you're covering the doctor, Bill. You're young yet. Just use your knees. What's left of them. Let's go. They huff and heave that phone booth up. Nan's been watching out the kitchen window. In between their grunting and puffing, they raise it up like the Amish raise a roof. <laughs> Afterward, they take a celebratory sip. Out comes Nan with rags and a bucket and a bit more than the usual tension between her shoulders and her brow. Hello, Tanner. Hey, you Nan. What the hell's up with this old thing? Well, beats me, but I trust him. Oh, this is filthy. Well, go in. There's pie in the kitchen. As Bert sheepishly tips his head, he knows Nan's on to the fact that they've already had a little nip. They head in as Nan sets to her task. Tanner proffers his flask of whiskey out to doctor the cup of coffee, but Bert reluctantly declines. Tanner raises an eyebrow. You are henpecked, my man. And you are an ass. Well, there's that. Here's looking at you, kid. My back's starting to ache. I'm going to head out. You take care of that old rooster of yours, Nan. Off so soon, Tanner? Pity, isn't it? The tavern's still open amidst all this. Oh, off you go, Tanner. Give Bev my regards, if you see her. Now that Nan's sufficiently cleaned the booth and bid adieu to her problem child, she picks up the receiver and listens. Her face has gone white as a sheet. Something or someone is on the other end. Who or what Nan just experienced is anybody's guess. 
she tends to keep to herself. She hustles in and starts a fragrant dinner, and makes phone calls to friends to see if they're in need of anything. Ooh, we're nearing the hour the cicadas and crickets start their song, and the bats begin their nightly ballet, catching the excess of gnats and mosquitoes from the stagnant remains of the water. After dinner, Bert makes his way back outside, sneaking in the booth. He picks up the receiver and gives it a listen. Ah, uh, I don't know if that's wise, Bert. What harm can come of it? What good will come of it? Do you really think you heard something? I do, Bert, and I think we should leave it be. Bert can be a stubborn fellow some days, I know from experience. <laughs> He's going to pick up that phone anyway. Nan's not one to stand on ceremony, so she leaves him to his own devices. Who's there? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Who's on the line? Who's here? I know you're out there. I feel you. Every single day. I feel you. We need you, Joyce and I. We need you. I need you. Thank you. Bert? Nan, it just feels like they're out there waiting to be called. I am sure they are, Bert. I am sure they are. I am heading to bed, Nan. Sweet dreams, Bert. I'll be up soon. Long ago and far away where so many of our stories reside. In our dreams. The way Nan looks to that booth. It's about to break my heart. Indigo blurs into turquoise and azure, and night passes. The soft topaz curtain of the night skies fades, the moon descends, and the sun comes up in the eastern sky. Here, just as it does everywhere, the clip-clop of the Amish horses and buggies followed by the pickup trucks begin to wake the town with a gentle reminder that time, like the river, is fluid. Morning, Tanner. How's town looking? A holy mess. What the hell, Bert? You think we can actually call people on that thing? You're a bubble off. Did you just say I'm a bubble off? Yeah, I did. As in a bubble off plum? That's right. You sound just like my mother. <laughs> Why, that's the finest compliment I think you've ever given me, Bert. Look, Tanner, I'm just telling you what I feel in my bones. Well, your bones are pretty accurate. Yep, this shoulder's never been known to lie. Well, who would you talk to? I don't know. Charlie, of course, comes to mind. I miss him. Hmm, Charlie. Never wanted to shy away from saying I was a bubble off. Have you tried it? Not exactly. I figure Charlie probably just needs to keep resting in peace. Well, go on. Have at it. I'm sure there are more than a few people you need to speak with. <laughs> Here's to the breezes that blow. Never one to shy away from conflict, Tanner raises his flask and heads into the booth. 
Do they have to be dead? The phone isn't connected, Tanner. I realize that. Thank you for your keen insights, Bert. Your wisdom always astounds me. Well, the answer is, I don't know. Try it and find out. Bev, I wish... I wish I could hear your voice. I wish I could talk to you. Hiya, Tanner. What you doing? Do not sneak up on a man like that, Tessa. Is it true what they say? Can we reach people this way? Who are you talking to? None of your damn... Tessa, that's not for kids. I was... I'm... I gotta go. Now you stay out of there, you hear? here. I knew it. The Laidlaw girls, whip smart and cute as buttons, nearly lost their minds with grief when their sister Ada, the youngest, went over the dam in the storm. I don't think any of them have quite recovered. Tessa, the oldest, is about to round up the troops. She's here. I know she is. I don't hear anything. Shh. How do we get her to talk back? I don't know that I want her to talk back. She's gone. We know she's gone, Evie. She's not gone, Tessa. I mean, she is, but she's not. Ada. Ada. Ada? Can you hear me? Listen. Ada! I hear her. I have an idea. Let's go home. Ada, come back, please. We could curl up in our jammies and have a slumber party. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I let you go. Holding on and letting go. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Liv couldn't keep hold of Ada's little hand, and Ada simply didn't have the strength to hang on any longer. Hey, Liv. Hey, Carol. You okay? No. I... I miss Ada. I understand. I miss Jay. Mm. You know, I'm... I'm hoping that you'll be available to babysit once this critter arrives. Really? You mean it? I sure do. There's no one I'd trust more than you. Not even Tessa? Not even Tessa. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Caro. Oh, excuse me, Caro. I'm sorry. I gotta go. My sisters are waiting. See you soon, Liv. I'll see you soon! Caroline Hovland. She was once the homecoming queen. And Jay Knightley. He was her king. Caroline went away to college, but came back to the place where her heart and her home have always been. Now she works in the bank, makes everybody's day with her smile. She, Nan, Bev, and several of the other women in town who you've yet to meet serve as the town's welcome wagon with their rhubarb pies. <laughs> Most days, Caroline still pines for Jay, whose heart was never hardened, not even with the hand of his father nor the loss of his mother. He was the class clown and was deployed to the Middle East 
shortly after asking Caroline to marry him. Before he left, he gave Caroline the greatest gift. Together, they created a son. Well, Jay didn't stand a chance against the IED. The blessing was he never saw it coming. We hear Tally didn't feel a thing, although there are some who'd argue with that. Jay, all I want you to know is your son, your son will be raised in love, capital L-O-V-E, love. He will bear your name, but not your scars. He will be kind and funny like you, and he will be held and cherished. He will be raised by this whole town. He will be our homecoming prince. Would it be awful if I named him Prince? I feel like I'm losing my mind, Jay. I think I may name him that. It feels so funny and right and fitting. The child, formerly known as the glimmer in his father's eye, Prince. <laughs> let's go crazy. Ba-dum, ba-dum, let's go nuts. Oh no, let's go. <laughs> and then... Then I'm going to have him baptized in the root, like you said your great-grandfather was. This little boy is going to dance and play and sing like there is no tomorrow. And together, he and I will keep your memory alive and well. Oh, Jay. What I want you to know is... I love you. I love you. We... We love you. Caroline, you're looking so good these days. When's the baby due? On April Fool's Day. Can you believe that? I feel like it's the biggest and best joke ever. Some days, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> you let me know if there's anything you need. I will, Bev. Thank you. I hear beer is good for breastfeeding, so I will be over to the tavern as soon as I squeeze this little one out and Doc Pollock gives me the thumbs up. I'll be happy to serve you one up. On me. See you soon, Carol. See you, Bev. Born and raised just two towns over, Bev Carlson makes her living at the nursing home and tending bar on the weekends to make ends meet. <laughs> She's hanging on to something completely different. She's got a hold of Tanner's heart. And no matter how much it pains the two of them, neither one seems able to let go or speak to one another with any real civility. Hello, Nan. Bev, dear. Oh, have you even spoken to him lately? Why would I? Well, you know what he said to me the last time we spoke. Oh, I know he hurt you. And I am not always fond of him myself. But I am not altogether sure he's a lost cause. I think he is, Nan. He is. He hurt me so deeply. I know he did, dear, but, uh... <gasps> I have an idea. What? Come with me! No, you're crazy. I am not picking up that phone. That doesn't work, and I'm not calling a living man who wouldn't pick up even if it did work. But that's the point. What is the point? You're not making any sense. I'll call him anyway, like a practice call. Get it off your chest. Pretend he loves you, and you can 
You can talk to that side of him. That's just bananas, Nan. Bonkers. You are a bubble off. I know people are saying they can talk to the dead on that thing, but that's just nonsense. They're just filling some need. My point exactly. Oh, Nan, it's crazy. Go on, do it. Oh, give it a try. Nan. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) I'll keep watch. Oh, no one will see you, and and so what if they do? If he comes... If he comes, I'll tell him you're talking to a loved one. The ever-blushing Bev heads into the booth, picks up the phone, and breathes the sigh of a lifetime. (sighs) Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, this is crazy! Keep going. I've missed you so. I miss you, Tanner. I miss who you were. I miss who I think you can be. But these days I have no idea who you are. That's a start. That's a real good start. Yeah, but you know, at least cows come uh, over, you know? Paulie Hassler. He and his brothers yeah, raised holy hell as kids growing up just off County Road 7. <laughs> their mother, Elsa, she was uh, a saint. How's Elmer? And their father, Elmer, uh, he still heads right. out every morning and milks the cows. Do you think she'd pick up? Well, honestly, Paulie, I don't even know if they're really there. I mean, I think they are. I feel they are, but whatever the case, it's just, well, it's just kind of nice. Kind of nice? Yeah, kind of nice. You heard me. I can't explain it, Polly, but yes, I think she will hear you. I think. I think she'll pick up. Okay. I am going to try it. I'll leave you to it. Mrs. Sullivan, can you hear me? Holy, you are still here. I knew it. I knew. It's like Bert says, I could feel you. Do you know how long I have been waiting to meet you? Jeez Louise, I can't believe this. Bert was right. I, 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 I don't know where to begin. I have so many questions. I don't suppose you'll answer, so I guess, I guess I'll just talk to you. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry we took your gravestone. What I think was your gravestone. We were just kids. We didn't know any better. I mean, I guess I had an idea. But it was awfully fun to carry that thing around in the Red Rider wagon across the property. I've no idea where that thing is now with the flood and all. Is that why you're still here? Do you need it to rest? Pop says you died a terrible death, felled by a tree in a storm. Back before the town was even a town, your husband gone, your best friend watching you. She went crazy from what I hear. What really happened? Did you suffer? Did you call out to her? Did your kids see the whole thing? Oh, Catherine. Is it okay to call you by your first name like that? 
It must have been awful. Maybe you died right away. Maybe it snapped your neck and covered you up. And the only thing they could see was your white hand or a foot. It had to have been a big tree to do such damage. I knew you were here all along. I think you blessed our farm. I don't think you minded us taking that stone. I think... No, I know. I know that you stayed around for just this moment. Oh, Catherine. Did they call you Kate or Kitty? I bet you loved your kids and had an Irish lilt to your voice. I'm betting you were a pretty woman. And I bet that hand, the very one you reached out from under the tree up to your friend, was reaching out to comfort her. I bet you helped unearth that gravestone of yours so we could play with it. The sea carved into it. It was beautiful. Just like you. You watch over us. You're the one who watched us in the field. The one who kept us from blowing up our faces when we stuck dynamite into those pipes out in the pasture. Kaboom! <laughs> what can I do for you, Catherine? Tell me. I don't think I can find that stone, but if there's anything else, anything else, you just let me know. Okay, then. Bye for now. You let me know, okay? So? I think she answered. Good for you, Polly. Good for you. Here come two of our town's finest. I'll let them introduce themselves. Agnes Hill, what do you mean we can talk to the dead? Well, Joyce Eversleaf, I'm not going to get used to that new last name of yours. That's just what people are saying. That's blasphemy. Your new last name or talking in the phone booth to the dead? Oh, the withering looks. If looks could kill, we have often thought Joyce's just might. Uh, the phone... Uh, blasphemy. That's a big word, Joyce. Well, it is. I don't know about that. I know what blasphemy is, and this well, is it. I don't know. Blasphemy. Google it. This is probably the very definition. It won't ring, you know. Oh, you're scared. Oh. <sighs> blasphemy. That's what this is. Well, come in for a cup of tea, Agnes. Joyce, will you join us? Blasphemy! Thank you, Nan. I'd like that. Do you think it's blasphemy? <laughs> no, Agnes, I do not think it's blasphemy. But I can see her point of view. And to be honest, it scared me at first. She told me to Google it, to Google the word blasphemy, as if I don't know the meaning. Like I don't attend the same ding-dong church as she does every <laughs> Sunday. Can you believe that? She can be so mean sometimes. Oh, she's lost a lot. She watched her cattle drown, said the cries were terrible, just something awful. Like the sales barn on a Tuesday evening, only amplified a thousandfold. Teddy, her border collie, swam out to try and save them. Then she lost him. That's how she tells it. Horrible. But losing Car and losing a daughter to the waters? 
I cannot fathom the loss of a grown daughter. She hasn't spoken of that at all, not even to us. It's not right. Some people lost everything, and then there's us who, I don't know, the river or God or I don't know who spared us. That's right, and it is not fair. Maybe that's who I should call. Who, dear? God. I have a mind to ring up God on that phone. (laughs) You are more than welcome to, Agnes. Although Joyce might call it blasphemy. Oh, well. (laughs) I'll just tell her it's a long-distance prayer. That's the spirit. Go on. Go on. I'm going to make it a collect call. Now that's blasphemy. Well, it's me, Agnes. Are you there, God? It's me, Agnes. Good grief. You remember that book? Yeah, I know. Of course you do. But it's not why I'm here. Do you know why I'm here? I am mad as hell. What the hell? What? the hell were you thinking? What were you doing? I know you don't care that I'm mad, or maybe you do care, but you don't mind me feeling it. Yeah, bull! Bull! These were good, good, were and are good salt-of-the-earth people. Why them? Why? They didn't, they didn't deserve it. They had so much to, why, why them and not me? And, you know, don't give me that, oh, well, you know, I have bigger plans for you. You have things that, no, bull. This is a bunch of bull. You better be glad my sister Nell isn't here with me right now, because she'd lay India even more than I am. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. She is there with you. So, Nell, Nell, I hope you're on one end, because I'm on the other. I hope, and I hope it's deafening, because this was a deafening blow. And this is a two-way street. Do you hear me? This is a two-way street, our relationship. Cattle floating down the river, losing our daughters. The hell is two-way about that? For crying out loud. We don't need another great flood. You promised. And if you were going to do it, you should have put it on someone who deserved it. I don't mean that. You know I don't mean that. I just... Oh, you got me worked up. Like these clouds that have been getting worked up around me. What's this about? You angry? I might be angry if I saw what you saw every day probably get a lot of calls like this. Oh, for Pete's sake, now it's starting to rain. I'm sick of rain. You know that. You know, I used to enjoy the rain. Felt like you were taking a day off, so it'd be okay if I did too. But now it just reminds me of... No. Still mine. It's still mine for me to just be. So that's okay. Tell Nell I said hey and I'll see you on Sunday.
Sounds like you connected and incurred the wrath of God. <laughs> I hope this doesn't bring any more flooding. Oh, it won't. It won't. I've been assured. Evening, Nan. I'm too inebriated to have a decent conversation with you. Well, then, take some cover. In the booth, Tanner. Don't mind if I do. I never expected or wanted back in my life. I need to talk to you. You in particular. You keep showing up in my dreams. Were you fighting for your family? To save your village? Were you fighting like me because you loved your family and country so much that it felt like the right thing to do? I was so sick by the time we got the orders to move on your village. The smell was thick from the fire bombings the night before. The stink of the dysentery we all had. Sweat, blood, jungle rot of our flesh. But when we came up over the ridge and saw your village, I saw something I hadn't seen in over 18 months. People cooking and laughing and holding babies like life would never end. For you, I think it was just beginning. A breeze picked up and I could smell the rice and savory stew. The moment before we charged, I felt the warm sun on my face and was in awe of how green it was. The color of the grass reminded me of the farmlands just off of 15 here in the spring, after the rains. I saw you holding the hand of a small child, maybe three or four years old. It's the only time I'd be given orders that I thought about not completing the mission. Do you believe me? I need you to believe me. I never meant to take that away from you. The ferocity you fought with amazed me. At one moment, I wanted to give up, to give in to you, to let you win. But I took an oath. Semper Fi. Always faithful. I'm thinking somewhere along the line, you took some sort of oath, too. But what it would have been... Who you made it to, I'll never know. Wielding that knife like nobody's business, grazing my side and my face. But I won. I wrestled you like the angel they taught us about in Sunday school. When you gave up the ghost, I heard the water running nearby. The rush and gurgle of it was like the root. But there was no river there. It 
was just the blood running out of you. When I came home, I never walked beside it again. But when it flooded up and over this last time, I had no choice. It and you, you came rushing back to me. Please, please forgive me. Please let me go. Please go home. If it isn't young Jamie Kirkland. Well, not so young anymore, I suppose. He's getting on to the time one thinks about marriage. He and Jesse Landis have been thick as thieves for years now. I wonder if he's come to talk to her. Yeah, I have this paper. It's the back of an envelope from the bank. I've been thinking about you pretty much all the time lately, so... Much so, it must have spilled over my head and into my pencil, and this was the closest piece of paper I had. I don't mind it, though you can see the smudges. I like that. It's much better than your all-time favorite, texting. It's fine, I guess, but it's just so dang impersonal. Even when I randomly get an I love you in the middle of the day, it's great. But I kinda... It's kinda like a crocheted blanket on the porch. Comfortable as grandma's hug, but still with a little pinch of a chill. I have to admit, though, the kitty with heart eyes is definitely cute. Anyway, I thought I'd practice reading this so it sounds all romantic or whatever. <clears throat> My blood is the root river pretty simple and obvious if you don't overthink it. The plants in my garden feed on it. It's what my animals drink. It's what my mom and dad are too. Grandma and granddad and so forth and so on and from the time before we even knew of. It makes sense to be here. You know, you always say you have a calling like it was from somewhere far away. But I realize it doesn't have to be that difficult. A calling can be as close as a rooster and be just as miraculous as the world. Well, it is the world. My world. Our world. We're in the pulse of the root, Jesse. You know, we've been seeing each other for a bit now, and I've been talking with my dad about flipping my old granddad's place down by the flat. Jesse... I would like to pulse with you for the rest of my life. I would love nothing more than to continue through this life with you by my side, along the route, and maybe someday pass the route along to our own little ones. Yeah, I can see them jumping off the trestle now, like us. Yeah, we'll definitely scold them and then laugh about it when we go to sleep. I just love you, Jesse. You want to get married? Ah, uh, well, that'll do. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Jessie Landis. She waited for Jamie to leave and made sure he didn't see her. Huh. She's this year's valedictorian. Looks like she's wrestling with an angel of her own these days. She might just win this match. I just want you to know I love you, Jamie. I wish I had it in me. To be a young bride and marry you. But there is this whole other world. It's not like here. The place where our grandparents and parents grew up. I need to leave here. I need to go to school and see the world and move on. Oh, my dreams are so big and your world is so small. And oh, neither one is better than the other. How will I ever find the words to tell you this? I could never just text this to you and run, but but that's what I want to do. I want to text and run. I want to text and run. I want to text and run. I want to run. Oh, I want to run far from this place and never look back. I promise. I promise. You will find someone, Jamie. You will. You will find the girl of your dreams. And she'll want to farm with you. And share the simple life you want to lead. And... And I... I will take the world by storm. Another impending storm strikes fear in the hearts of everyone, where the waters have yet to fully recede. But before it hits, Nan sneaks into the booth. Almost looks like she's checking on someone. After the latest storms passed with no damage to speak of, Carl Henderson, <laughs> local curmudgeon and top-notch farmer, makes his way up the hill. His emphysema doesn't stop him, but the sight of what he calls a newcomer, like Hetty Graves, can stop him cold and take his breath away, much like his wife Nellie Hill once did when they were sweethearts. Uh, how's this damn thing work? Hello? Oh, for Pete's sake. Nell. Are you there? You want to know what I think, Nelly? The flood finally cleaned this place up. The tourists and the transplants coming and going as they pleased. I'm glad most of them are gone. What do they do for us? Me in my time of need. My heart is breaking without you, Nell, but I'll be damned if I let some half-naked inner tuber, trout fisher, or newcomer see my pain. This land, this town, doesn't belong to them. That's just how I feel, Nell. We've been here for over a century now. Our people, we came and cultivated the soil. We sat on committees, built the church, helped build the dam. 
we watch as people come and go. Those folks are just tourists. <laughs> Terrorists is more like it. Who do they think they are? What do they actually contribute? What good? I'm making a difference here. I feed the nation. Who wants them back? That looks like a young Nell. Well, like I said, time and the river are fluid. I can only stay out till dusk, Carl. <laughs> Your dad would have my height if he knew it were me you were seeing. That's not true, and you know it. You tend to think the worst of people. Oh, not you, Nell. Not you. You are the finest person I know. I am going to make it my life's mission to help you think that of yourself. Why, Nellie Hill, is that a proposal? <laughs> Ask my father, Carl. Ask him first. Once he says yes, you know I will too. <laughs> I have to go now, or he'll have my hide. I love you, Carl. Nell, please don't go. Please. Sometimes I wonder what it'd be like to have one of these transplant folks like Eddie to dinner. To have a conversation, to break bread and hear their tales. <laughs> Your recipe for biscuits would break their hearts. I don't know what draws them here. Why do they even want to be here? The earth? The black soil? Uh, they don't care about that like I do. From hell or high water, it's still a place of plenty. Ireland had no place for your grandfather, and Norway had no place for mine. The soil was hard, and we were edged out of our land. Here we found a place, Nellie. I just want to preserve that. That's all. I want to preserve the... Uh, the integrity of this place we call home. Oh, here's one of them now. Eddie, the one I told you about. Oh, she, she took over the Johnston place. Uh, I gotta go now. I, wherever you are, please remember. Try to remember, if that's even possible. The best of me. I remember. Carl, were you all done? I didn't mean to rush you. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm just seeing what all the fuss was about. I'm here to see Bert about some new calves. along the confluence. I don't even know what tribe or nation you're from. You must see us all as intruders. Although I consider this my home, others like Carl, well, I guess I feel like he sees me as the intruder, a transplant. How long does it take? Does it ever take? Did you ever feel like this was your home? Or were you just passing through? It's been so many years now, and I 
I still don't live in my own house. <laughs> That's not because of the flood displacing me. No, I live in the old Johnston place down near the bend. When does it become my place? When the house is over 150 years old, and old man Johnston, he didn't live here but for ten. He moved on years ago. But it's still his. I mean, aren't we all transient? What timeline determines whether you're a true local? Do you have to be born here? Were you born here? Or is it in death we belong? Did you die of smallpox? I wonder what your story is. I wonder about your roots. I want you to tell me if I belong here. Isn't it enough that I, I laid down roots here? And that my husband died here? I, I need to know. Did you settle here, or were you just here for a season until someone encroached upon your land and moved you out? I bought my house, the one you pass by at night, old man Johnston's place, years ago. I attend church, raised my children and sent them to school here, and now, to lose it all, to lose so much in the flood, when will I have done enough? Why do I feel this distinct wave of us against them, or them against us? suppose you lived with that in a much deeper way than I can ever understand. Do you think if I invited Carl to tea, offered him a peace pipe of sorts, do you think he'd sit with me, listen, smile, and share my food? I mean, could we create a connection? Or would he leave and disparage me behind my back? Place, this valley, it's my home too. And just like you, just like Carl, I walk these trails. I hear stories of fiddlehead ferns and ramps in the spring. Oh, and the morel mushrooms. The locals still gather morels in hidden spots. You and your family probably found long before us. But shh, oh, it's a secret. Don't tell the new girl. When you were here, did you share it with your neighbors? Here's a secret I know. This land may be old, and Carl's family's history may be long, but these coolies, this valley, this river, they release their ancient secrets one by one to anyone with a mind to hear. I suspect you heard them over and over. I don't really care about the local secret spots, because I was the one who saw that tiny, bright red, little upside-down toadstool and the three little fairy hats growing all in a row on the dead log in the woods. I saw a brook trout rise in a pool and a kingfisher dive after it. And didn't I bring home fossils to line my windowsills covered with some ancient moss and snails? Some don't seem to see these things anymore. Some days I feel like it's you who guides me to see them. Perhaps the locals don't see these things because, well, they've been here so long. 
I tend my garden like Carl tends his farm. I do my best to, to be kind and forthright. I do what I can, and I know, I know we both care. I helped him sandbag his land, and he... He helped save my mother. I don't know why some people think it's time that determines whether a place can be called your home. But it's not time, is it? No. It's whether the land calls you. And this land, it called me. I'll see you tonight, along the river, with the mists. For now, for now, I'm going to go talk to Carl. Thanks for hearing me out. I'll see you tonight. Carl! Hmm? Carl? Oh. I wanted to thank you for helping us out. Uh, how's your mother? She's very well. She's staying down the road in the care center for now. Oh. That's where my wife was before she passed. Oh, that's what I heard. Sweet Nell. Everyone loved her. Alzheimer's? Yes. Ugh, that is a rough go. Yes, it is. Carl, hmm? would you care to come to dinner next week? Once the kitchen's back up and running? I, um... Please. Please, please say, say yes. yes. I'd like that. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'll see you next week. We don't talk much about the natives, the Lakota and Ojibwe who lived here before us. But they tended this land in such a way that nothing much of themselves was left behind. The finest stewards of the land to date. Girls. Joyce Knutson Eversley, who we met a bit earlier with Agnes Hill, is back on the warpath. Growing up, she won the state debate. <laughs> Funny to think of the devil's advocate she once was. <laughs> Raising hell and running around like her hair was on fire. Uh, but over the years, the river seemed to cool her down and baptize her. It's awful, then, how it betrayed her. Girls, do not go in that booth. Why not? It is it right? Well, you aren't our mother. Shh! Oh, I'm so sorry, Miss Eversley. I forgot. I didn't mean... You're right! You're right! I am not your mother, but this booth is devil's work, and your mother would think I did not save you. What is going on? Oh my goodness, Joyce is not the door to the door. Eddie, look at that. Joyce, get out of the way and let those girls in. You know what? I feel about this place, and I went in and I got fucking nailed. And everyone is It's true. The heavens unleashed heavy rainstorms upon us. Without warning, flash floods swept through the low areas of the farm, leaving destruction in their wake. Miles of fence line vanished. Boulders of limestone tossed into the pastures like tinker toys. We were all shaken a bit senseless by the deadly force of the water. But that is nothing 
compared to the torrent of words that are coming forth right now and the hurt they can cause. Thank you for joining us for part one of the Root River Anthology. Part two will be available on June 6th at www.commonwealththeater.org. Thank you.